This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sunday Social with Yasmin Omar. Uh, she'll be joining us in just a minute. Good morning, Tom. Thank you so much. No um, I am really looking forward to today's show because it's about disability in teaching, and it's just something that's really close to my heart. Yeah. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and you are listening live. Tune in live at ttradio.org, or to join in the conversation, download the Podbean app and search Teachers Talk Radio. Follow the hashtag TT Radio. Tune in, talk it out with Teachers Talk Radio. up with the Witherslack group to bring you a fantastic face-to-face meetup in Manchester next month. Tickets are free with lunch included and you'll be met with a host of amazing speakers. Sign up for your voice now at witherslackgroup.co.uk forward slash your voice 2022. Hi, I'm Charlie Burley, the teacher's health coach, and I want to talk to you about the first ever health and wellbeing event for educators, Rewriting Wellbeing. It's a full day dedicated to improving your health as a teacher through looking at your nutrition, movement, mindset, workload and well-being in school. You'll hear from our incredible lineup of speakers including Andrew Cowley, Jen Foster, Kimberly Wilson, Simon Bolger and many more. There'll be talks, workshops and time to network with like-minded colleagues. We'll look after you all day with brunch, lunch and all the refreshments. You'll get to meet our incredible speakers and our amazing team of ambassadors from the education space. It's a non-profit event with all proceeds going to the amazing education charity EdSupport. This isn't one to miss. I look forward to seeing you there on the 22nd of October at Etc Venues St Paul's in London. You can search Rewriting Wellbeing on the Eventbrite website to find out more. This episode of Teachers Talk Radio has been made possible with support from Witherslack Group, the UK's leading provider of SEN education and care. They're here to support you too through an ever-growing offer of free resources, including webinars, podcasts, articles and events aimed at supporting teaching professionals like you. Visit their website at www.witherslackgroup.co.uk to find out more. This is Teachers Talk Radio, and this is Teachers Talk Radio News. Friday the 14th of October saw many schools mark Restart a Heart Day 2022. In Yorkshire, thousands of children across the county took part in events, learning vital life-saving skills. The Yorkshire Ambulance Service ran events designed to improve cardiac arrest survival rates, visiting 136 secondary schools and training more than 30,000 students. A spokesman for the service said that since the launch of the programme in 2014, bystander CPR rates in Yorkshire have increased from 39.9 to 74.9%. 
Across all four home nations, the British Heart Foundation and the Resuscitation Council UK have worked with a range of partners to ensure that more and more people can learn how to save a life. The official Restart a Heart Day was the 16th of October 2022. The iNewspaper reports on news that the UK's largest teaching union, the NEU, has announced that it will hold a formal ballot for strike action, with a timetable for potential walkouts to be announced in the next few days. The union represents more than 450,000 teaching staff across the country and said it would move ahead with proceedings after it said the government had failed to respond to its calls for an above-inflation pay rise for teachers. A preliminary ballot showed that 98% support a pay rise above the current inflation rate of 10%. The government has offered a rise of 5% for most teachers. The ballot also showed that 86% of teacher members said they were willing to take strike action. The NESUWT has also announced that it will pursue strike action over pay. FE Week focuses on criticism of, of exam board decisions to raise fees by up to 17%. It says that schools and colleges face having to pay out tens of thousands of pounds more in GCSE and A-level fees. Exam boards at Excel and OCR have raised fees for all 2023 exams by 6%, whilst England's largest exam board, AQA, has hiked prices by between 5 and 17%. AQA remains the board with the lowest prices overall. Exam boards say they need to hike prices in order to cover costs, while school leaders say the rises are inappropriate at a time when school leaders battle with rising energy and staffing costs. Comments from all boards indicate that whilst they understand schools and colleges are stretched, they try to offer as much value for money as possible and try to keep fees low. In Jersey, the government has pledged to expand its school meal programme to all public primary schools if the £1.6 million funding plan is approved by ministers. The money will be used to create new facilities to store and serve meals, as well as food itself. Chief Minister, Deputy Christina Moore, says the plan shows government commitment to supporting children and families, especially as the cost of living crisis continues. This has been your Teachers Talk Radio News with Joe Fox. This is Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods, your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello, this week I'm going to look at keeping your phone charged should power cuts be introduced. Coming home to no power between 4 and 7pm may be something we have to learn to live with as the winter approaches. We can live without most things. However, for most, our mobile phone is the main point of contact. With being in work all day and no means of charging once home, will your phone last that extra bit of time? Before I begin, this is not an advert, so there'll be no brand names mentioned just a look at the technology available to extend the uptime of your phone to keep you connected with your friends and family the power bank is the obvious choice for extending the charge of your phone they've come on a lot since they were first introduced when buying consider the technology your phone has if it has an induction charger meaning you just put your phone on a pad to charge there are rechargeable induction chargers available they're like a little backpack for your phone they come with a stick on magnet or will connect via an existing magnetic connection if you should have one built in they can 
can allow simple and secure connections to the charge. Just be aware, some magnetic connections are weakened by the type of case you have on your phone. If you want something more multi-purpose, there are several other types of power bank available. Some double up as torches and hand warmers. However, if you spent the day keeping your hands warm, there won't be much left for you to charge your phone at the end of the day. The next thing to consider while you're making your choices is the capacity of the charge they can hold. This is measured in MAH or milliamp hours. The bigger the number, the more charge it will hold and therefore the longer it will last before recharging. Usually this relates to the cost and also the overall size and weight of the device. To give an example, a 2000 milliamp hour battery will provide approximately twice the charging time as a 1000 milliamp hour battery. Basically what I'm saying is, if you're wanting to charge your device several times throughout the day, then you'll want a large milliamp hour capacity. Finally, if you're going to use a power bank, remember they take time to charge too. So make sure you get into a routine so you're not caught out. Do you already have a power bank? I'd love to hear from you. Why not tell us at TT Radio 2022? I'm Steve Woods and that was Two Minute Tech. Two Minute Tech with Steve Woods. Your tech briefing on Teachers Talk Radio. Hello everyone and welcome to the Sunday Social with Yasmin Omar. Uh, she'll be joining us in just a minute. Uh, just while she does that, a quick mention for our sponsors on the show. We're the Slack Group, uh, who are one of our key sponsors on Teachers Talk Radio. And also, coming up very soon is Charlie Burley's amazing rewriting wellbeing event. Uh, I'm sure Yasmin will mention that later on. Uh, it's coming up on the 22nd of October and yeah, it's in London and it'll be a brilliant event. Um, so make sure you check that out. Um, I will pin the information to this space. If you're listening back to this as a podcast, then stay tuned because I'm sure Yasmin will mention rewriting wellbeing later on. Uh, Yasmin, good morning. Good morning, Tom. Thank you so much. No um, I I'm really looking forward to today's show because it's about disability in teaching and it's just something that's really close to my heart. Yeah. Got a guest called Melissa that should be joining. Um, she's actually made a Twitter account just to be able to do this today. Okay. Um, so I'm just going to wait for her to um, join us. But in the meantime, yeah, you know what? I might just go ahead and just get started. So, yeah. Um, no so yeah, I'll do a little bit of intro while I'm just waiting for Melissa to join. I'll just quickly do a bit of an intro into why disability in teaching is something that's super important to me. So a lot of people on that have followed me on Twitter for a while probably know that I was diagnosed with MS as a PGCE student. So if I just quickly share the story, what ended up happening? So even how I got into the PGCE was a bit of a frenzy in the sense that um, I'd been working in exclusions for two years. And um, what ended up happening is I ran into, I was actually at one of my cousins, my cousin's party one night in August. And I ran into a student that I had worked with in um, permanent exclusions. And he basically really, you know, he was really happy. He kind of ran up, ran up to me in the street and said, uh, Yasmin, you won't believe it. You know, I've passed my GCSE English and math, etc. And I was just so, so happy to hear that it had genuinely made my day. And when I went home that day, I decided to just really quickly apply to teaching. But it was so late in the academic year that you know, it was at that point, maybe a week or two before the new academic year was going to start. And so I went to UCL um, and I'm pretty sure I was the last person that was enrolled onto a PGCE course that year. And I remember when you first start, one of the prerequisites is that 
you do an occupational health referral. And so I did. And I mean, the answer for me was always the same. I didn't have any medical conditions. I had like one childhood allergy that was mild. So it was just, you know, ticking a series of no, 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 and just enrolling. And a week into my first placement, I just went blind one day in my right eye. And like, I just, I didn't go blind straight away, but there was something wrong with my vision, but I just thought I needed glasses. And funnily enough, I was actually driving that day. And after school, I drove to Specsavers. And when I got to Specsavers and they looked into my eye, they said straight away, you know, you need to go to the eye hospital, um, emergency hospital right now and get this checked out. But I didn't. I went shopping. I just went about my day. And when I went home and told my mum, she drove me straight to the hospital. And from there, ended up getting a, a diagnosis of MS by the end of my PGCE year in the same week that I got my qualified teacher status. Yeah, I was just on placement. And I remember I was my first school that I was at. So this was on my first placement. It was a Catholic school. Um, it was in the area that I grew up in. But it was a school that I knew nothing about. Like I never even had any friends that went there. Um, but it was in my local area. And so when I got the placement, I didn't actually know before that placement that you didn't have to be Catholic to work at a Catholic school. I think, you know, I, it's just an assumption that I had. I mean, I feel like I know what it was based on, but I didn't know much about Catholic schools. So I ended up joining that placement. And I remember on the first day, the deputy head, who was lovely, he was like the person that coordinates all the um, uh, all the PGC students and all the teacher training and stuff. Really, really nice guy called Gary. I remember he asked me, do you have any questions? And I said, yeah, you know, my first question is, what is it like? Like, I didn't know, I didn't know that you didn't have to be Catholic to work at the school. So I said, you know, is it an issue that I'm somebody that, you know, wears a hijab? Um, I'm in a headscarf. And, you know, he just straight away laughed and was like, no, it's totally fine. Not everyone in the school is Catholic and it's not going to be an issue. And he was absolutely right. I had a great time. I loved that school so much. Um, the faculty were amazing. And I remember that day um, when I was going to Specsavers to get my vision checked out. I remember I went up to the head of faculty who I really, really loved as well at that school. And I said to him, um, yeah, my eye's been a bit funny today. I'm just going to go to Specsavers so I can't come to a faculty meeting. And he was like, yeah, you know, totally fine. Hope everything's OK. And I just remember thinking that's, you know, super, that's kind of like dramatic because I thought, what? Well, why wouldn't everything be OK? Like, I've, I'm, I'm just going to get glasses, you know. So um, I ended up driving there and I remember honestly like I got my license as a teenager so at this point I'd been driving for maybe five years I think I was 23 at the time and um, people kept like blowing their horn at me I just I got into so many like near accidents or but the weird thing is I didn't think the issue was me I just remember thinking like what's wrong with everyone today and it was really foggy outside as well so I just thought maybe it's like a weather thing and I honestly remember when I got to Specsavers like you know it's bad when they turn on the room lights you know and they actually stop looking into your eyes I didn't know actually that um opticians can see your optic nerve by looking into your eye that's another thing that I learned even though I, like I teach about the optic nerve all the time I didn't actually know that the opticians could just see it like that I always thought it was something you had to have like an MRI to be able to see the optic nerve so anyway they told me to go to the hospital I didn't end up going to the hospital straight away as I said I went shopping and um, what ended up happening is when I went to the eye hospital I went to one called Moorfields a really well-known eye hospital in London and I I had to wait for maybe five, six hours. So by this point, it was like three in the morning. I was still in my work clothes from like the previous morning. And um, they put something in my eyes. And then I remember the um, ophthalmologist held up like, well, what I know was a red object. 
and he asked me he said what color is this and I just remember thinking that what a weird question but I said it looks like it looks a bit pink it looks a bit orange like I'm not sure and he just you know clicked his fingers and was like right you've got optic neuritis and I said what's that and he said it's when the optic nerve at the back of your eye is inflamed and then he said to me do you have any like family history of neurological conditions and I said no and he said "Mm, it's really unusual that you got that but he said um about five percent of people who get this get it for like for like no reason but the overwhelming majority I think over 80 percent get diagnosed with MS at some point in the future and so I just thought oh okay that's interesting you know like, I just didn't know what to say and then he said go home what we'll do is um, an, an ophthalmologist or somebody a neurologist will contact you a couple of weeks from now and um, you'll have like your eye checked properly there's no treatment for it just go home So I went home and I remember just having no idea like what to even text uh, my mentor and like the school the next morning to explain my absence. Like I didn't know what to say because at that point the only information really that I had was, you know, that I couldn't see the colour red. And I just honestly had no idea what to say. So I just said, I'm not feeling well. Turns out like, you know, my eye, whatever's going on with it might be quite serious. And obviously they were like, oh, you know, don't worry, just take any time that you need. So I ended up sitting at home for like two straight weeks and I hadn't heard back from the eye hospital. And at this point, I remember when I woke up the next morning after coming back from that hospital trip, I just had gone completely blind in my right eye. I couldn't see anything, but my left eye was intact. And see, the thing is, optic neuritis isn't like um, the more common blindness. It's really different. It's my eye, like I was still able to see what the issue was, was that the optic nerve at the back of my eye which carries the images and you know the messages or translates everything basically for my brain in order to tell me what I'm seeing was what was dysfunctional so because of that it's like I was seeing everything it just wasn't making its way to my brain so it was just really really weird like if I stood up and I looked down at my feet I wouldn't be able to see them in one of my eyes but I could in the other so it was just just so bizarre so after those two weeks my mum just just couldn't bear to see me like that anymore so she ended up taking me to another eye hospital called the western eye hospital this time in west london which is where i lived at the time and i actually it was a lot closer to get to in comparison to moorfields and um when i got to that hospital they couldn't believe that i'd basically been there for like two weeks with you know just not able to see just had been at home doing nothing for two weeks i'd been like listening to youtube videos and um they got me admitted to hospital straight away so all I had to do was leave just walk a bit down the road and go to a hospital nearby where I was like hospitalized admitted straight away onto their acute medical unit um so it's like a unit it's like a ward for anyone that's got like quite a serious condition that needs to be treated um really quickly so I go to the acute medical unit and um they basically it was a Friday night when I when I got admitted and I remember a neurologist came down to see me he tested my vision and he was like yep this is definitely optic neuritis and I remember he said to me um you know most I think he said 90% of people who get optic neuritis usually develop MS at some point in the future and I remember just you know being optimistic just being I was I've always been a bit of a silly person I remember I said well you know I'm tired of being extraordinary and what I meant by that was like well I'm not I probably won't get MS you know I must be one of those people who just got this for no reason and so on Saturday morning they ended up sending me for an MRI and um that MRI they basically said to me if it shows that you've had brain lesions at any point in the past then so how MS is diagnosed let me just explain how it's diagnosed um you 
can have a lumbar puncture, which is a needle that they put in your spine. So your lower spine, it's called your lumbar spine. They put a needle in there to take out something called your cerebrospinal fluid, which like kind of covers your brain and like kind of pours into your spine as well. They take that fluid and what they do is they test it for um, white blood cells to see if you've had if you've got any white blood cells there, because you're not supposed to have any. And if you do have some there, then it means it's crossed your blood brain barrier and you're likely to have MS. So that's one of the ways in which they test it. That's one of the criteria to get diagnosed. And the second one is a brain scan that has to show that you've had um, lesions or there's just some sort of, I mean, I don't know what they're looking at. It just looks black and white to me. Honestly, I just do not understand what doctors see when they point at MRI scans because I, I honestly find it so bordering every time when they're like oh yeah look there and like to me it's just like a black and white photo um anyway you need a combination of both those things and physical symptoms so you need those three things to get a confirmed diagnosis and as far as I know it's usually something that takes a really long time for a lot of people like most people I've met and Melissa hopefully when she joins you know will be able to um, talk about this too but most people um, it takes like years for them to get diagnosed because you need you know all three criteria and also you need um, like you just need yeah so you need all three criteria and for most people that just isn't something that happens straight away so um, for me though on the Saturday I already knew I had the MRI Saturday morning and straight away they said that I had four brain lesions historically thankfully my MRI scans have remained about the same ever since but um, I had those lesions but the cerebrospinal fluid I didn't get those results back until February so this was November so I already knew I had the brain scan and in my mind I just thought you know what I'll hold out hope and I'll wait until the lumbar puncture results come out in February to find out whether or not I have MS and so when I went to the appointment on February I remember as soon as I came in the neurologist basically said do you want to know or would you rather not and wait for a referral to an MS specialist hospital and so from just off the back of that I knew and so I was told based on the um, lumbar puncture results it was highly likely that I had MS but they said that they weren't going to diagnose me and they were going to refer me to another hospital that specializes in MS and has like lots of really good neurologists and so they said um, just wait for that but in my mind you know just being a science teacher being somebody who'd kind of looked it up I just knew that I definitely had MS and for me it was just a matter of formalities so even from that point I've just began you know coming to terms with it because I was a PGC student and I was going to be going to another school in September as well you know I had already told the school that I basically was diagnosed with MS um, I told one of my old teachers Mr Leveson I didn't tell a lot of people I remember I even didn't tell my parents because I just wasn't I wanted to process it before I like really talked about it but I remember telling my NQT school because I thought it was really important for them to know in advance so that they could put support in place for me which isn't what happened which is another story that I'll probably get into at some point when Melissa's finally joined us thanks to those of you that have joined by the way I'm meant to be interviewing a guest called Melissa but she's struggling to get on so whilst I'm waiting for her, I'm just kind of talking about how I got diagnosed with MS. Um, feel free to jump on as well if any of you guys want to like share anything or you want to, um, you know, you don't have to have MS. But if you're somebody that's in teaching or if you have any like kind of questions or anything, just feel free to jump on. Um, but yeah, so I just thought it was really important to tell my school. I didn't end up getting support from them, which I'll probably get into some point later. But um, yeah, it's just really it really changed my view on a lot 
um, I didn't really know much about the Equality Act before that. Um, it just wasn't something that I really like I was aware that the Equality Act exists and obviously as you know just a regular member of you know the wider society and as someone that was training to teach etc you know equality is something that's always mattered to me as I would say it does the general generally across the public I think most people do care about equality they want to be treated you know in a fair and a decent way and generally treat others in a fair and decent way so you know in that sense I cared about equality, but I didn't know the ins and outs of the Equality Act. I didn't know what counts as discrimination. I also didn't know that there are only three medical conditions that are considered a disability from the day of diagnosis. So a lot of people don't know this, but um, a disability, the actual definition of disability is any medical condition of any kind that's expected to last for um, three, uh, sorry, 12 months or longer. So anything that has like a substantial or adverse effect on you and if it's supposed to last or expected to last longer than 12 months, then it's considered a disability. So that includes everything. It includes mental health, physical health. You know, it can it can be things like diabetes, neurological conditions, um, cancer, like loads of stuff. But there's only out of all of those, even things like asthma, actually, allergies, etc. But there's only um, three conditions that are considered disabilities from the day that you're diagnosed and that's cancer HIV and MS and the reason why those three conditions are considered um, disabilities from the day of diagnosis is because of their progressive nature and the fact that if you've got any of those conditions you're kind of expected to get worse over time obviously there are loads of people that do recover from or go into remission from cancer um, and now also there are really good antiretroviral drugs that work for HIV and same with MS there are also amazing immunosuppressants one of which I'm on um, and it means that I have no symptoms and haven't done for years. But a lot of people aren't aware that those three conditions are considered a disability from the day that you're diagnosed. And so in the context of teaching, it's really, really, really important for um, school leaders to basically know that if somebody has told them they've got one of those three conditions, it's not really debatable as to whether or not they're real. Like, I think what happens a lot in teaching is people kind of look at you and they try to decide, you know, like your level of disability or your level of illness. And they just think, they just think, um, you know, but that person doesn't look unwell, therefore they're not unwell, therefore I'm going to impose, you know, the same kind of expectations on all of them. I think a really common example, even if I move away from a mess, um, go, um, even if I move away from a mess, a really common example is uh, mental health, you know, depression, anxiety. These are huge conditions. I think they're the most common in the workforce. Um, I think depression might be the most common um, disability in the workforce. Yet, you know, people kind of look at somebody and think, oh, but, you know, they don't come across unwell. So, you know, I feel like a lot of people have the kind of attitude where they think if they can't see it, then it isn't there. Hi, Usman, I can see that you've come up as a speaker. Did you have something you wanted to share or or ask? Um, yeah, so um, I'm a PGCE student and I actually use a wheelchair. And um, I think this topic is really important to kind of talk about, isn't it? Um, because I had these loads of preconceptions and these worries that, you know, that teaching would be kind of 
really difficult to manage with my disability and my disability is really complex but um the main kind of symptom is scoliosis which kind of injures my spinal cord and I can't walk as much and I have to basically be in a wheelchair almost close to full time and um, my work and also I have a hearing loss I'm also partially deaf so it's just having lots of these things at the same time and I was kind of really self-conscious but I still wanted to enter the education system so I yes I just kind of want to kind of share that really it's having disability itself doesn't make it impossible but it just it just teaches you to kind of be more creative I think yeah Shukri thank you so much that is really like honestly I'm so happy to hear that I feel like it's really really important in teaching for children and even actually uh, you know staff to have representation um people that represent all kind of aspects of society and I think especially for students it's really important for them to know especially you know if they've got a condition of any kind that it shouldn't be something that you know places limits on them and they should be able to achieve anything that they want to achieve I just wanted to ask you Shukri um what school like are you based in England like tell tell me a bit more about like your yeah. training and stuff like that like how, how does it work yeah so I've only been at my school for about three weeks now and I go to a um it's a London comprehensive school um quite one of the mill um and you know a lot of the school a lot of the children are you know just from the local community so they were initially quite you know it's all been, been very new the school itself has never had a disabled teacher um I had there were lots of hiccups about, you know, fire drills and, um, you know, lots of form filling just to make sure that they knew uh, that my support worker would also be, you know, in school and stuff, stuff like that. And, um, yeah, they've been really welcoming and really supportive, actually. And my mentor has been um, really good in kind of, he's been really good in kind of testing out things that way that I would teach in my, and how I basically practice my teaching which would be which would be really difficult uh, different in uh compared to his own because he you know he's tall he's he walks around the classroom a lot and mine is just completely different i have to have an eye on the middle and i can't get to different students so basically yeah i've kind of basically given i've had so with each lesson with each first lesson with my classes i basically had an expectation kind of slide thing so basically i tell or i tell the kids on the side that you know if i can't get to you please come to the front or if i need things to be handed out you know i want some volunteers if you get you know if you come volunteer i'll give you some achievement points you know you're gonna you're gonna get these things and um and they're really all up there they're really accepting actually so I've been quite lucky I think that is honestly Shukri that is so 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 amazing like that's how inspiring is it that you are the first teacher in that school to be a wheelchair user and you know it by the sounds of things the school have dealt with it like in a really appropriate way and they've put in risk assessments and stuff like that in place and also it's really nice to hear that students are you know adapting and you know they so do they do that do they come up to the front have they ever like had questions for you like how how have you felt as well um you know training to teach I well, not a lot of them have actually um, asked me anything directly, but um, so for a media class, a member of staff has asked me to come in, and they are um, 
basically doing this magazine for their media assessment. And my teacher wanted to kind of explain how disability representation kind of works and how I feel basically to be represented on um on you know on a magazine and what disability is and how that might feel like to be kind of shown around around the world. And I think I think they I think they're really accepting because I think they they realise, you know, that um that, you know, nothing can really stop you really to be to being what you want want to be. Um and I think they there are a couple there's only I think there's only one wheelchair a student in a wheelchair at the school and I think he's very new. He's in he's only in, in uh in I think key uh, key stage three. So I think just seeing me might give them give her, you know, um encouragement to kind of do well in school and stuff like that. And um but I I don't know. I, I think that's something for me to kind of look into as I go into the school. But they've been really good and they they just they've not asked anything directly but they've really been really good at, at managing and kind of really been helpful. Oh I can imagine. And honestly I think I think that is amazing representation for that student that you said that's in a wheelchair. I think it's really important for children at that age because they're in such, you know, a critical window of their development. Like, you know, even if I think back to my own school days, you know, um, I remember... I remember not knowing if any teacher like I didn't have any teachers that I remember having a physical uh, disability and so you know it wasn't something I ever had to give much thought to but now when I look back and see and like or think of them I think you know what there must have been loads of teachers that did have you know yeah. conditions that um, constitute disabilities but you know for whatever reason maybe didn't feel comfortable enough sharing it or didn't want to obviously not everybody has to but you know it makes me sad to think back that I probably did have teachers um who you know everyone just you know loads of students you know wind up teachers you know it's just it's a tough gig and you know just remembering and thinking back to my school days I do think there were probably teachers that suffered from depression or anxiety or had you know a medical condition that doesn't that is invisible, essentially, but we never knew about it. The only teacher that I remember having a physical disability was this lovely, amazing, honestly amazing um, French teacher. I think she taught French. She wasn't my teacher ever, um, but I remember she was, I think she was actually French as well, and she spoke French, and um, she always used to keep um, one of her arms, I think it was her right arm, in her like trouser pockets. Like You would never really see it. It was always just kind of down by her side. And um, she would like write on the board with her left hand and stuff like that. And I remember another teacher, a Spanish teacher once told me that um, she had polio as a child. And um, as a result of that, had to have her limbs, her well, part of her right arm amputated. And I think she was right hand dominant and stuff like that as well. But learnt, I don't know actually if this bit is true, but, you know, I remember that I remember knowing or thinking that she had to kind of relearn how to write with her non-dominant hand and you know she'd gone into teaching and she was honestly the nicest like coolest teacher ever and I remember knowing that about her but it wasn't something I ever asked or said and I certainly don't remember anybody ever like making fun of it in any way or stuff like that you know but you know it just I feel like it's really really nice representation when staff are happy to kind of disclose 
things that obviously you don't have to and I know not everybody's comfortable like I've taught students that I've never told I have MS to for a combination of reasons I just think when you're like a classroom teacher there isn't always the time or the opportunity to you know talk about medical conditions it's not always relevant and also sometimes when I teach uh, really young children in particular I do sometimes avoid talking about medical conditions to them because I just think um you know, it, it is something when, when you care about your teacher and when you're at that age and you don't really understand medical conditions sometimes, it is hard, I think, for children to know what to think or to say. And so sometimes I just kind of avoid putting them in that position. But also, Shukri, like I do acknowledge that I know it's easy for me to say that in the sense that because my condition is invisible, I get a choice of when, you know, I can like pick and choose when I want to talk about it and when I don't want to. And I know that's not the case for every disability. But I wanted to ask you as well, Shukri, um, what, how, how have you felt in the wider, as part of the wider staff? And I have to say, I know, you know, you're a PGC student and I know that it's already kind of awkward being a PGC student in the sense that you are in a school, but you also kind of know you're not really part of it. So like, to like a, like to the same extent as like permanent staff, but how have you felt? as part of you know the wider staff body um I think I've been really included I kind of I mean in this school like all of the staff are really you know funny they kind of um introduce them, themselves really quickly and kind of explain that they you know that they're always um welcome to kind of you know listen to me about what any like any worries or any kind of um things like just just kind of present with them and something like that. And I, I really appreciate it. Even you know, on Friday, um, the executive assistant to the head even emailed me to see if I'd like to have a chat with the head and kind of see how things are going. And I thought that's really nice because I don't think many schools would actually do that. I'm not sure. But um, just to kind of have that open door policy, uh, just to kind of talk with, with, talk with you and to see how you're managing and all the work, you know, Staff well-being thing, um, and and I think that's really important. But also that you know they're they're really because when I go into a, a class to observe, they're really they're really good in kind of making sure that everything's accessible and kind of opening up the aisle so I think I can pass through and kind of explain to students that you know bags are, should be under the table, not on the side, so that you know nothing gets damaged. And I think you know just having that support that you know uh just having that support you know and showing that to students as well that the start if the staff kind of acknowledge me as a teacher and as you know uh some kind of you know adult figure that they can also do the same um and they've been really good at that and and also in meetings i get um you know the the minutes sent to me so i can kind of understand if i can't hear everything and just kind of really being open and kind of, I think, I, I, I just prefer that openness and I really enjoy that because I can feel, even if I don't participate directly, I can still feel part of it. Yeah, honestly, like, hearing how the school has dealt with it, Shukri, is just making me think a big part of why the students have probably, you know, had such a well not a negative response is probably because it's like a top-down culture you know if yeah. staff and you know if the head teacher and the wider staff body are really inclusive and care about you know how you fit in and how you're feeling and you know are willing to hold meetings with you that's probably why like I get the impression it's it must be like that for a lot 
for everyone and that's probably why the children are probably used to you know being inclusive and things like that that's honestly so nice Shukri and I know you're just saying you know you're training but you I definitely think that you're right um when you say that it's probably not common in schools or at least I know I definitely know just you know from being part of edu twitter um seeing people's tweets the amount of messages i've got from teachers as well and just generally knowing a lot of teachers as well in person i'm certain it's not the case in well it's not the case in every school i can't say you know how many schools aren't like that but i know that it's not the case in so many schools and there are so many instances where teachers get discriminated against just off the back of um, a condition that they live with and you know got no say in and have absolutely no control over um i'm just just stay there for me shukri i'm just gonna see if this man um has anything because i can see us man you're a speaker as well is there anything that you wanted to say okay thank you so much for hosting this very important uh, discussion well the experience here in my community is very particularly different because in my community disability is something that normally we don't talk about some of the invisible disability that you just made mention which is very important for example i was trained as a professional adult educator which um i've been facilitating adult learning and rest and sometimes this invisible disability has already taken us to have this feeling that even if we discussed about them they don't really matter since even the physical disability in my community is not something that has um, already been you know exclusively captured in the policies of our education so talking about the this invisible um, disability is very important for example i once had this problem of lost memory which is not something that i personally developed over time it just occurred to me and i did not um realize it until when it was very late for me even though i had to find myself research on how to you know mitigate this issue so this this is very important because i would like to know more about this invisible disability from yasmin thank you so much oh thank you usman thank you so much for sharing that that's really really nice to hear I definitely agree that you know invisible conditions or invisible illnesses and disabilities aren't talked about enough. Um it's just I think a big part of why people don't know how to deal with um or be supportive of people's disabilities is because of the fact that they can't see it and therefore it's not talked about enough. Um I was going to ask you uh Shukri, I just had a question for you but it's just slipped out of my mind. So I was going to ask actually yeah So are you up for a chat with the head teacher and do you know what you would want to say like do you do you know like sometimes i feel like like maybe it's just me but i want to ask you this Shukri if it's something you relate to as well sometimes i feel like i feel really 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 thankful to people for doing um or supporting me for having a condition but then sometimes when i think about it i think am i thanking people for um support like is it actually above and beyond support or is it just that um you know i am you, i've had times in the past where i've not been treated well for my condition and now i'm just kind of thanking people for doing what the law actually entitles me to like do you ever feel like that shukri do you, how do you feel 
Yeah, I, I actually do. Uh, yeah, I do empathize with that. Um, just yeah, is it? Are they really doing the bare minimum, or are they going above and beyond? And I think it's really on the face of it. I think it's really hard to kind of tell the difference because you know a lot of people just won't, wouldn't follow the law, and I feel like um, and that can just you know, I, if that happens constantly, you know, that becomes the bare minimum. And then when someone else, you know, does completely different and supports you in that holistic way, you know, you feel like, oh, my God, I've been, I've been seen. I, I feel listened to. And I think, yeah, you should thank it. But then, you know, it, it's not really, you know, their fault or your fault that it isn't the standard. But I think, yeah, I, I, I would thank the head. But but also kind of keep in mind that, you know, they couldn't really refuse to have me as a student. Um, They actually, with the school, because I'm on school direct, you know, they saw me for who I am. They saw me because uh, they saw me, they liked me and they wanted to keep me on because of the fact that I did well in my interview and I satisfied them. And I think, you know, having my, having my disability not on the forefront of that kind of helped. And I think... um. Yeah, it is the bare minimum. I mean, they couldn't really do anything else. But I think just the the, the support, though, the empty support and kind of, you know, well-being checks, is, it is above and beyond. And I do kind of, you know, appreciate that. I, just, I think it would be really interesting to kind of talk to the head about that um, and just kind of, you know, explain to them that, you know, seeing as I'm the first person who was disabled to be a teacher or at a staff level, uh, staff member level, um, you know, they can then also learn from that. And I think it's a learning opportunity for us both, me as a teacher, but then them as a, you know, school and as an organisation and as an academy to have both um, a student and a staff member who is disabled. Yeah, uh, no, I totally, totally hear what you're saying. And I completely agree with that. Like, everybody benefits from having somebody or, you know, from having a diverse teaching body. Everyone benefits. Like, you're never at a loss for having that. Um, And it's just really, you know, I I agree. I sometimes feel like, um, you know, I'm just thankful for what's the bare minimum or what the law entitles me to. And I like that you said, you know, that even though you all thank the head, you are still going to bear in mind the fact that they couldn't refuse to have you. But also it's really positive, you know, to hear that you went through an interview and it's, you know, it's, it's based on merit. So, you, you know, you are able to train there as a school's direct uh, trainee because you were somebody that you know presented well that they liked in your interview and that to me you know is something that I feel like it should be the standard everywhere and everyone you know anyone with a disability should be able to work in any school you know I just feel like that's really really important one thing I wanted to ask you about though Shukub is your first year is this your first year by the way yeah yeah so I mean I'm guessing you haven't had a well-being week yet but if there's anyone that wants to jump in even Tom if you want to jump in like there's this is basically I just want to say I feel like well-being week is actually one of my least favorite things in the teaching profession and I'll explain why like I never really used to I mean I used to tell teachers all the time I was a union rep at my old school but it was also something I never used to really make a fuss about or I never really openly said to SLT that I didn't like well-being week because um I knew I felt like the sentiment you know it it came from a good place I feel like well-being 
week is a very well-intentioned week, but I'll explain why I don't really like it. So before I do, though, Shukri, I'll explain what it is to you and for anyone else who isn't a teacher and doesn't know. Um, so Wellbeing Week, it usually happens in the um, next half term, so in the second half of the autumn term, usually one week in November, as far as I know, but you know maybe some schools do it at a different time in the year, I'm not sure. But ours was always, in both the schools I worked in before this one, Wellbeing Week was always a few weeks into November. And um, basically what happens is it's a week where you kind of consider teacher well-being. So what you basically do is um, there are no like meetings before or after school. There are no like marking deadlines or things like that. I'm just kind of going off the back of like my experiences in teaching. Um, and, you know, some schools do extra things like uh, my last school they used to give us a free breakfast every day in well-being week I can't lie I loved that part even though I always bring my own breakfast to school it was just nice to have like a hot breakfast in the morning with everybody and just have you know that extra bit of time to talk I did always kind of look forward to it but didn't like it but I'll get into why I didn't um so yeah well-being week there's just loads of stuff that happens where you consider teachers' well-being. But me personally, the reason why I don't like well-being week in teaching, even though I appreciate it and I'm so thankful for it, is because um, when there's a week in teaching where there are no meetings and things like that, it kind of reminds me that at least some of us, you know, who have disabilities or illnesses that we have all the time and we're constantly juggling alongside our full-time jobs, it just makes me feel like if you can for one week acknowledge that, you know, sometimes teachers are overburdened with, you know, a really tough workload and, you know, cancelling meetings and things like that does alleviate the burden on somebody. It makes me sad because I feel like every week is like that for me, you know, just as somebody with MS, even though I don't really have any symptoms, I've been in remission for three and a half years, it is still something where in particular fatigue, I feel like is just, you know, the one insurmountable kind of side effect of living with MS in the sense that I know every single day I just have like, you know, a certain energy reserve that I can run on. And after that, you know, I will just be too tired to think. I can't concentrate. Um, I've always, well, not now because now, now I'm in a pro and also I'm a senior leader. So my timetable is quite different, but um, in the last, in all my years before this, the last four years, I always had a full timetable. And so it was really common for me to have full teaching days, which I didn't mind. I, I was happy to do it. I, I was in a really good school where I could have said, if I felt like I couldn't cope with my timetable, I knew it was something that I could have brought to the attention of SLT at any point and it would have been dealt with straight away. So it wasn't a case of, you know, nobody helping me. But, you know, after a full teaching day, for example, on a Monday, and then having to go to faculty, so I'd be teaching period one to seven, and then to go to a faculty meeting after school, I always felt like my concentration levels, my ability to concentrate, focus, think creatively, all of those things would be massively depleted. And I would like force myself, you know, push myself through it. And then, you know, there would sometimes be consequences for me later on in the week or on the weekend you know knock-on effects from having overworked myself at times when I knew that I should rest but just the nature of teaching meant that I had to you know constantly exert myself for a long time and so I feel like things like well-being week reminds me well actually if you put considerate you know reasonable adjustments in place all the time for staff that have disabilities I feel like my general well-being would probably you know, be better across the entire academic year rather than just for one week. Even though it's like nice to have that week, I feel like it always reminds me that I have 
you know, another full-time job in the sense that I've got a chronic illness all year round and, you know, having no consideration being given to that, generally speaking, in terms of well-being for the rest of the year always kind of makes me sad. Like, I don't know if anyone's got any thoughts on that or Shukri, if there's anything you wanted to add. Like, do you know anything about what well-being week or if your school does do a well-being week? Um, yeah. So, sorry. Um, my school, I mean, my school staff, they don't, they don't yet have the well-being week. I'm not sure if it's going to happen soon time uh, in, in the year, but I do know that they have a uh, well-being Wednesday and they have this kind of activity CPD thing where they just kind of take care of each other every day on Wednesday but that, but the fact that I'm not there on Wednesday kind of means that I'm not over there I'm not I'm not able to kind of experience it until like later on in the year um but yeah I think it's, it's really important to kind of understand well-being and I really you know having having that you know energy reserve or spoons I think that yeah. some people do call them is kind of important to think about I mean um, when I get to placement, I get there about 8 o'clock and I come back about uh, 4.30 and I feel so exhausted that I basically fall asleep by 7 and and I'm not even done much. I'm not done like half of the amount of, of a, you know, of a, you know, permanent member of staff is done in, in the school day. In fact, most of, the, most of the week I have three periods to do, you know, observations or, or uh, reading or writing up my report. Or, or stuff like that and I still feel so exhausted because you know just the whole environment is so different to what I'm actually used to that I just feel exhausted um, and I just think about oh what could it be in the future and I feel that you know schools can make it better I mean I think at this school as we do have you know free breakfast and we can come in a little bit later if we if we really needed to like up until 8 20 but then um you kind of have to think about am i am i prepared for the students at the time um but i think it'd be really interesting to kind of see well-being week um as a pgc student but then also later hopefully as a permanent member of staff at whether at this school or any other school in the future, um, to see how it would be for the the able bodied staff, but also for me to see how that would make me better. I do get your point of whether it should be really it should be like that every day, but I don't know. It just seems like the system is built like that, and I think, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. No, I completely agree with you. I completely agree. I'll tell you guys a little story. In my NQT year, um, so I was like newly diagnosed with MS, right? I was at a school. I, I mean, I've tweeted about it a lot. I had a really bad time there. Uh, long story short, ended up having a tribunal for disability discrimination, which I won. But obviously at this time when I was working there, I didn't know that I would go on, you know, years later to basically beat them in court. But um, when I was at that school, I remember um, it was like, I was newly diagnosed with MS. So like on the first inset day, I'd had MS for like confirmed for maybe six weeks. So it was like my first day as a teacher, but it was also my first day as somebody in the workforce with MS. Like it was just a lot of firsts, you know, it was a tough time. You know, I was trying to like reconcile it as part of my identity. Um, you know, I, I felt weird every time I would openly tell somebody that I had MS. I just felt so weird. Like I couldn't believe it. It just felt like a really surreal kind of experience, right? And all at the same time as well, I was trying to, you know, learn how to teach and you know had a full timetable and things like that and I remember I don't know if it was like well-being week I don't know what it was but I remember uh, there was a day where we were told for our well-being 
we they the school had arranged you know activities for everybody um hey Bahaj, i can see that you've joined hi to everyone as well please feel free to request the mic if you've got anything you want to add but yeah i'm just telling a story really quickly about my um nqt year so what ended up happening was we were told that the school had arranged um some sort of well-being activities and that we were put into um predetermined groups that they'd also made for us so i mean i understand that I didn't really have an issue with you know being in a group I didn't really know many of the teachers I was in a group with but I think the idea was try and get you know cross-faculty kind of socialization which I actually generally support and think is a good thing um, but the activities that they organized I kid you not like honestly it made me feel so bad about myself when I got home that day and I think it's so ironic that it was done as a sort of you know kind of well-being kind of initiative so what they did um, they put us into these groups we just had to show up after school to like the sports hall where you then get put into your groups and every single activity so every group had to compete with everyone else in the room or in the hall depending on where you were it was like a rotation of um, different activities and all of them I'm not even joking were things where you know they were either based on speed or accuracy or just things that as somebody with like a newly diagnosed neurological condition and I was really symptomatic at the time was so hard for me so like one of them was I think the first activity we did was like stacking cups really quickly like who could stack the most cups I didn't even bother to attempt doing it because I knew that I just wouldn't be able to do it quickly so I just someone each time you do an activity basically you're meant to get one person in your team to do it so you don't have to take part in every activity anyway so it wasn't an issue that um then the second one was dodgeball. That one I took part in because I did always like dodgeball at school. But even dodgeball, you know, things like being able to follow um, a ball that's moving. I had a condition at the time called nystagmus, which is an MS symptom. And it's when your pupils don't move together, like properly. And because I'd had optic neuritis, I actually had it four times, in I think, in my NQT year when I was first diagnosed with MS. I've never had it since, but I had it in quick succession and I had optic neuritis at the time so my vision was kind of impaired in one of my eyes but obviously nobody could see that and so you know playing dodgeball was actually really difficult like I was struggling to even balance and then I remember there was another activity where um, they'd put loads of cups filled with water just plastic cups on the floor in the playground in like a sort of like kind of arrangement and, and they filled them with water and you have to be blindfolded and um, your team are supposed to basically guide you to getting around that you have to try and get to the other side without knocking over any water so it's like like I feel like they are generally like fun activities and I think I, I could imagine a lot of teachers kind of enjoying stuff like that but that I found so difficult because um, I mean MS comes with so many different symptoms because it's you know it, it affects your nervous system which is basically every part of your body but at the time I had this thing where well it's, it's like a commonly known thing in MS where if you close your eyes or people, a lot of people with MS, I don't have it anymore, but I had it at the time. If you close your eyes and you've got MS and you stand up, you will basically fall over. You'll fall to one side, like you can't balance with your eyes closed. It's called proprioception, if anybody wants to Google it. Um, I don't know, it's just something about how your brain relies on like your ears and like your peripheral nervous system and your limbs and things like that to keep you balanced when you're standing with your eyes closed the reason why it's easy to stand with your eyes open is because your brain can see everything around you and therefore knows that you're standing and so it's easier to for it to like kind of control your muscles to keep you upright but then when you close your eyes I guess for the for a, 
for someone that doesn't have MS, you probably wouldn't notice the difference. But when you close your eyes, your brain is no longer able to rely on your vision. And so it has to rely instead on like your limbs, you know, your feet, your hands. And so if you've got nerve damage, there is like a bit of a disconnect between how your brain is able to, you know, um, communicate with other parts of your body. So hence why you know people are likely to fall over so it's called proprioception if anybody wants to google it and I at the time had really bad proprioception if I closed my eyes and I was standing I would just kind of fall to one side obviously I would avoid closing my eyes for that reason but anything like even yawning in a lesson or rubbing my eyes would make me feel a bit woozy like I was going to fall over and you know I'd drop my board pen a lot and things like that so I just remember even though that was a well-being initiative I remember feeling really sad at the time that it hadn't taken into consideration that not everybody can do those activities and also not, um, you know, not everybody is able to take part in. Well, I just I just found it so ironic, you know, that a school wanted to do something for well-being, but actually they can sometimes make staff feel worse about themselves because of the condition that they have. I just think it's really important for school leaders to always talk to their staff with disabilities and ask them, hey, how do you feel about this? You know, do you feel included? You know, what would you like to see happen? Because it's really important. And so, you know, off the back of that, I do also really want to talk about what discrimination actually is and the Equality Act and, you know, what people are entitled to, because I feel like a lot of people don't actually know what their rights are with um, a disability. So if I go back to you, Shukri, um, a question I had for you, and Osman, if you want to join, you're more than welcome to as well. I want to ask, when you joined the school, did somebody sit down with you and um, mention the Equality Act or anything to you? Like, were you given the opportunity to say what you feel like would support you? Um, yeah, basically on the first hour, I was there. Uh, kind of not, maybe the first hour. Probably the first month of pre-grading, like in July. Um, basically they were really on the board. Like, how can we support you? What do you need? What what kind of arrangement? And even on like the day before the, the day before you to start, I had an email say anything else you can do. And I mean, and I just you know always send loads of long emails basically. Like, I need this, need that. I know, I know what I know what I need. I mean, I've been through. You know, university that had these meetings, and I've been through different like um, job roles, and that had these kind of things. And I've kind of been already on the board. And also having you know studied law previously, I know what the quality law is, and I, I know what you know what it what it does and what it doesn't do, and what I can ask for and what I should get. So I, in that, I think compared to like someone who is who's never you know who's never known about that kind of stuff. I, you know, I, I was a bit different. I just knew all that stuff and I knew what I was always entitled to and I've been kind of been on the ball about that. Um, but yeah, I feel like I, I was kind of forced to kind of know about that really quickly, especially as I've, cause I've had this disability, not, not as an adult, but since, since as a child. So I've kind of had to learn it, <laughs> you know, uh, from a younger age, I think. Yeah, oh my god, that's so cool. Did you say that you studied law? Yeah. That is so, so cool. Like, you know what's so crazy to me? Like, I didn't know, I did not know much about the law before I had MS. Like, I had to Google so much and just kind of learnt from the internet. I, I That sounds so amazing to you, that to me, that you've got a law degree because that makes you 
that must mean you know a lot about you know the Equality Act and therefore what your rights are and what you could do if you were discriminated against because I feel like most people in teaching don't know enough about it exactly yeah, all the employment employment elements of it yeah exactly I do know all of that um which I'm really thankful for that I went through that uh, and uh, I think even you know going through all these you know you know teaching uh, employment tribunals things it's really interesting and I think if if more people had that kind of education and kind of you know had that you know I don't know pamphlet just to kind of keep their you know rights like to know their rights that would be you know that would basically solve a lot of issues uh, in in the first place. Yeah, exactly. So I wanted to ask you before I start talking about um, the Equality Act and how I found out about it because I had a tribunal for disability discrimination. Is there any advice as a former law student that you would have for teachers when it comes to the law in the context of disability? I think, yeah, I mean, there is a lot, but there isn't a lot at the same time. I think what you kind of have to do is just kind of be prepared to kind of... um, read up on what you can on google or something but even go go to university um look at it they they are you know they are staffed by students and solicitors and barristers and they are really you know they do evening sessions and they're really you know up for listening to what you what your issue is even if it isn't an issue you know if you're feeling like you're being pushed out of a job or something they can kind of talk you through that and that that's often quite free and that's often in the, a lot of you know local universities around around london and around the uk so i think there are lots of initiatives that kind of push information out and i think you know finding the time outside the school is also really possible just sending them an email or have given them a call or, or going to the centres directly that just might just give you that personalised information that you just might need on that you know quickly on that you know quick basis that you just might think of it and then you know what happens later is really up to you yeah honestly I completely completely agree with what you're saying like I have um ever since I did win my tribunal I think I would say maybe on a daily basis um, or at the very least on a weekly basis, I do have messages from um, teachers or even just people that work. Usually, unfortunately, they are teachers, which I think is so sad. But a lot of people do ask me for help in, you know, how do I contact ACAS or um, how do I like collate my documents so that I can go to a tribunal and things like that. And a lot of people just don't know enough about um their rights and that's why like I, I try to make a lot of effort to help teachers all the time even now um, I'm supporting I think four teachers that are currently undergoing or in the process of applying for um, you know taking a school to a tribunal which I think is really 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 sad but it's just um, me kind of helping them through the stages just based off of what I had to learn because when I did it I didn't know any teacher that had done that before. So for anyone listening that doesn't know, um, when I was in NQT, I was newly diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. Um, it was just a hard time in the sense that I was trying to um, reconcile it as part of my identity. Um, you know, it was a difficult time and it was made infinitely worse by my NQT school because um, they didn't really, not only did they not really put reasonable adjust- adjustments in place for me, they actually actively discriminated against me. And there were a lot of SLT in the school that would basically use their position of power over me to kind of bully me at times. 
Um, and, you know, it was just something that was really, really sad. Like, it's just a very sad memory for me. But obviously, I went on to win a tribunal. But, like, I had to learn everything from scratch. So if I just give another example, I remember once the assistant head teacher for teaching and learning who happened to line manage uh, our faculty in science, basically he came to my classroom one day and he said I've left chocolate for you in your pigeonhole because you know it's just that time in the half term so it would have been like this week um it was like the last Friday the penultimate week it was the end of the penultimate week before the October half term so I was near the end of my first half term as an NQT for anyone who doesn't know what an NQT is it just means um a newly qualified teacher um and he yeah I was just at my computer in my classroom just kind of tying loose ends it was the end of the day I wanted to go home just had a few things to get through um I hadn't really been feeling particularly well he popped his head in and he said uh, I've left chocolate for you in your pigeonhole Yasmin you know just because it's that time in the half term you know and I thought oh my god how kind and so I just stopped him and I said um could I ask something and he said sure go ahead and I said um I've done break duty for a half term now but I said um I've got optic neuritis like I can't see out of one of my eyes properly I said you know my balance is really bad I also suffer from really bad fatigue and I've got like painful pins and needles in my feet and you know I'm just struggling to stand outside for break duty and I'd really benefit from being able to keep that break duty because I think I think it was twice a week if I remember correctly or maybe once but it doesn't matter anyway what I was asking him was would I be able to have those um, 20 minutes to myself where I could just kind of sit down and have a break and kind of just you know recuperate myself before my lessons because I did have a, a really heavy time t- well I had an NQT timetable but it's still a lot of lessons I think it was like 19 out of 25 or something um, and he basically said well he I remember he came in and he just kind of sighed and he was like well you know if you're unfit to do break duty my next question is are you unfit to teach and I just like honestly I I didn't even hide it from him I said like I'm I am shocked to hear that and I don't feel like that's a fair comment to make and so then he started to gaslight me and was like but I'm not saying that's what I think I'm saying if I go to an SLT meeting and I say look, Yasmin Omar wants to come off break duty. That's what they're going to think. They're going to think if she can't, um, you know, if she's not fit enough to do break duty, then is she fit enough to teach? And he was basically trying to say, you're going to get observed a lot more. You know, people are going to start walking into your lessons and keeping an eye on you because they're going to think you can't do things. And like, I was a mix of scared and really upset. And so, you know, I remember I left and I walked, I left my classroom, he left my classroom, and then I left my classroom, I went to the science office and there was an older member of staff who'd been there for a really, really long time. Um, and I just kind of, I, I just kind of, I wouldn't even say I was venting to her. I was just so shocked that I felt like I just had to say it to somebody. So I must have said, oh, you know, I like, I can't believe what, you know, so-and-so just said to me right now in my classroom. And I was like, I just don't feel like that's fair. And I remember I was like Googling on my phone, like, is this discrimination? Like, just trying to see, is this actually, like, am I just overreacting or is this not right for someone to say this? Because I was so young, like, I was so new to teaching and into, um, you know, having MS that... I feel like at the time I would doubt myself and I would think maybe I'm just, you know, too emotional. So I wasn't even sure. And I remember um, she was like to me, look, Yasmin, it's just, you know, the part and parcel of teaching. If you want to be able to work here, you know, she was like, we're a really successful school. Um, She was like, if you want to be able to work here and survive, you're just going to have to, you know, try harder. You're going to have to this or that. And just honestly, hearing her 
speak just ended up annoying me even more so I actually sat down at the computer and I decided to just complain to the head teacher so I emailed I think his PA and I was like I want to come speak to him um because you know I said I didn't want to say what what had happened because I didn't want want to give the school a chance to you know kind of come up with whatever they were going to respond so I just said I want to speak to the head teacher urgently like I'd really appreciate if you could arrange this for me and so what happened is I came into school the next day the next morning we used to have staff briefing every single day and so I came into school I walked to staff briefing I'm just kind of stood there along with everyone else in the school and what ends up happening so what used to happen at the daily staff briefing was the head teacher and like all the vice principals would just kind of walk in together like single file come stand at the front and if there were any announcements they'd say it oftentimes there were no announcements and they'd all just turn around like they'd say good morning everyone would quiet down and then they'd say nothing to announce today and they'd turn around and leave and you would have just spent like a, a couple of minutes stood there waiting for them anyway um what happened is I was just stood in briefing waiting for them to arrive when one of the vice principals when they all arrived one of the vice principals basically came right up to my face and was like I need to speak to you can you follow me please and so um he took me to his office and he was like um he he basically said um you know it's come to my attention that you've reached out to the head teacher can I ask why you've done so and so I thought oh you know well fine like maybe like I knew that I knew the head teacher knew I had MS and I've felt I often felt like he was avoiding me but I just thought fine you know since the vice principal's asking me to share why I've sent this email you know I might as well just tell him like for me it wasn't a matter of complaining about somebody it's just that I wanted to be taken off break duty that was my main goal so um I explained I said I've spoke to this person and I asked to be taken off break duty and he's basically said to me if you're unfit to do break duty you know the next question is are you unfit to teach and I said I didn't even say like oh you know I'm upset by that all I said is so I emailed the head teacher because I want to be taken off break duty and since he's not going to help me that's why I sent the email so um, this vice principal pulls a face and he's like oh you know he shouldn't be saying that to you that's not you know what should be said that's not acceptable no he didn't actually say that's not acceptable he just said he shouldn't have said that to you I feel like it wasn't even about oh my god like this is discrimination sorry Yasmin that you've experienced this it was more I feel like the vice principal was just annoyed that an assistant head teacher had basically given me grounds to like have something to actually complain about I think he was just annoyed that the assistant head hadn't said something in you know a more I don't know in a, in a sneakier way where I wouldn't where I'd look crazy if it had upset me if that makes sense like I feel like he didn't actually care that what he'd said to me was discrimination anyway long story short the vice principal said I will look into this for you and I was just sent to my lesson so there was no like I didn't feel like I'd had any justice I didn't have any resolution but I just thought you know what I'll just wait and see if he gets back to me a few days after that this um, same vice principal stopped me in the corridor I was on my way to pick up a class and he was like like loitering in a corridor like it was very obvious he was like waiting for me to appear I guess he would have known that I would have been headed in that direction to go collect the kids from the playground for lineup and um, so this vice principal stops me and says um, can I have a word and so he just kind of we just have like a quiet conversation in the corridor where he says to my face, he says, I'm not going to take you off break duty. Um, and then says, but I'm going to change your break duty from outside to inside. You're going to have an indoors break duty instead, but you're still going to do break duty. And so I said, OK, um, I've got a lesson now, like I'll speak to you later. But really, it was just because I wanted to create a paper trail. So what I did is I collected my class. And as soon as that lesson was done, I just like ran to my computer and um 
I, I ran to my computer and I basically thought, you know what, this needs to be a paper trail. Like you're not going to, you're not going to like cover this discrimination by just talking to me verbally. So I sent an email and honestly, I remember like writing in the subject, I wrote something like, um, following our conversation in the corridor earlier and then I went you know I wrote hi uh, so and so you know um thank you um for you know stopping me in the corridor to say this is that I just want to say you know I just want to remind you the reason I've asked to be taken off break duty is because I have multiple sclerosis and as I stated previously you know I get painful crimson needles in my feet and I have fatigue and I have this and that and I could really do with those 20 minutes um that 20 minutes break to have for myself and I'd really appreciate if you could accommodate this request thank you very much and I just thought great you know this needs to be on paper like let's not pretend do you know what I mean like I just felt like it was important to have it written down on record um this really annoyed them um what ended up happening is um a, a few days after that I got ambushed again this time by four SLT and I was sent to his room and this time like honestly it's, it was set up like a police interview so there was the vice principal the one that you know had stopped me in the corridor and changed my break duty there was also the assistant principal who'd basically accused me of being unfit to teach and um, there was the head of department all three of them sat there and there was one empty chair and so I walk into this room and I'm like so shocked thinking why is everybody here and like why is there an empty seat for me and um, the first thing the vice principal asks me is, um, are you planning to involve a union? And I just said no, because I was really scared. Like it was the kind of school where you had to be really quiet about union membership. No one ever used to openly say they were part of a union. So obviously I just said no, I wasn't, even though I was actually speaking to the union after school every day. Um, and so he said, OK, take a seat. So I sit down and basically just a series of things happen but they refused to take me off break duty um look just it was just a, an awful meeting and off the back of that I actually decided to resign so not that day um in particular but maybe about a week later it was like a Thursday morning it was a school where there was no resignation period if you said you wanted to leave they would just walk you off on the same day like you could you could just resign at any time in the term and it would like be your last day not even your last day it'd be like your last hour in the school like they would get rid of you straight away and I remember it was like a Thursday in November just a completely random day I I it had been about a week since that meeting and I remember I'd just been really sad like I couldn't stop thinking about it and I just thought you know what if I stay in the school I'm gonna like progress to you know serious disability really quickly because MS is a condition that's affected by stress and so um I remember it was period two on a Thursday, which is just hilarious. I just taught a chemistry lesson just before it. And in my admin, in my PPA period, I just thought, you know what, actually, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm going to resign. It just so happened there were two, 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 three other teachers that were free um, and that also had an admin. So I just kind of, I emailed, I wrote a three-page resignation. I sent it to the head teacher's PA. And then I just kind of turned around and looked at everyone in this massive office. And I was like, you know, guys, I've just resigned. You know, I'm probably going to get walked off any minute now. And I was like, you know what? It's been good knowing you guys. Tell everyone I said bye. And, you know, sorry that I didn't get to say it in person. And I was like, yeah, I'm just, I'm going to go. And, um... They were like, oh, you know, we're sorry to hear that. Don't worry, like, we will pass on your bike. And then I just, like, I packed my bag. I put it on my shoulder and I just sat there, like, waiting for the phone to ring. And it did. Like, it rang maybe 10 minutes after that. And it was the head teacher's PA. And she said, hi, Yasmin, you know, can you come up to the head's office? And I said, sure. So I waved goodbye to them, just walked down the corridor. I was walking really slowly, just kind of looking around, thinking, you know what, this is, I can't believe that. I can't believe I came to school today having no idea that it was my last day. Like, that's what I genuinely thought. So I go up to this office 
And the head teacher, this is like the first face-to-face meeting we're having since he like employed me in my interview like nine months prior in January of 2018. Um, and the, the head is like, you know, I'm so sorry to hear that you're resigning. Like, why are you resigning? And honestly, I thought it was my exit interview. So I just started, I mean, snitching isn't the right word, but you know, like I just started reporting like every last thing that had happened. And I basically said to him, look, I've been Googling my rights. Like I was just really candid about it. I was like, I've been Googling my rights. I'll be honest, I didn't know much about, you know, MS or about um, the Equality Act or what I'm entitled to before this. But I've learned a lot from the Internet. And even as Shukri was saying earlier, I had spoken to like this free service based in a university that like just gives free legal advice to people with disabilities. And so I was like, I know that I shouldn't be treated like this. But ultimately, I'm just leaving because I don't you know, I don't want my MS, like, I was, like, 23 years old, I was, like, I don't want my MS to progress to disability really quickly because of stress, like, I just feel like it's not worth it, Um, you know, I really love teaching, and I love the kids, but, like, you guys just, you know, this has all really upset me, and I just can't do this anymore, so I just want to leave today to try save my health, that's what I said to him, and he was, like, really apologetic in this meeting, you know, he was acting really shocked, he was like, I can't believe, you know, the deputy head, and, like, assistant heads, and the head of department, and etc, I can't believe people have been speaking to you like this, you know, this shouldn't happen, he was like, you're really inspiring, you know, he was like, you're like, um, the uh, I was the only Somali teacher in the school, he was like, you're a really good role model for black children, you know, you did really well in school, your A-level students really appreciate you, etc. You know, he was like, don't leave us. And I said, well, I don't know what else to do then because, you know, I've got hospital appointments. You're not letting me leave for appointments. You're not letting me come off break duty. No one's like offering me any adjustments. Like I just, I need to go. So in the end, he convinced me to not resign just because he knew that I wanted to finish my NQT year. Um, he was like, don't resign. Um, why don't you just take special leave? I'll grant you a special leave. Um, it's November now. He said, why don't you just stay off for the rest of this half term and return in January at the start of the spring term? Just come back on the first day. And I thought, you know what? What a great resolution because I didn't actually want to leave. And also, you know, I had a lot of bills that needed paying and I, I didn't have any other job lined up. Like I hadn't planned to be out of teaching and certainly not because of a medical condition that the law actually entitled me to not being discriminated against for so you know to me I thought okay you know like I really believed what he was saying and so I was like you know this this sounds really good okay thank you so much so I go home what happens first thing that happens is it's unpaid leave which he never mentioned in the interview and um, I only found out in December when I didn't get a paycheck that it was you know a completely unpaid leave I think I think the December pay comes a little bit early because of Christmas and that's basically how I found out that I wasn't actually being paid on this special leave it was so special that I wasn't being paid you know which is ridiculous um, and the second thing about it was he promised me that when I would return in January I'd be on a phased return And so when I returned on the first day back, I was on a phased return, believe it or not, for a total of two hours before they decided that they were going to cancel it and put me back on a full timetable with immediate effect, even though I'd not planned, you know, a single resource or anything because they told me that I'd be on a phased return and I was an NQT. And off the back of that as well, because I had reported what, you know, so many senior teachers had done and said to me, what essentially happened is every single day or every other day or sometimes multiple times a day I'd be formally observed by staff so people would just walk into my lessons 24 7 and it was predominantly SLT they'd just walk in you know observe me um, I'd be 
I then lose a PPA either that day or the following day um, where they would call me into this meeting to just kind of um, give me feedback. The feedback was always horrible. Um, I, I, a few days into that term, actually had my first um, serious MS relapse. I've never had a relapse since, but that relapse was really bad. It took me about eight months to recover from it. It was, um, I just woke up one day and I couldn't feel my entire left leg and like, I couldn't, so if I put my hand on my hip, um, I couldn't feel everything from my hip right the way down to like my foot. And um, it affected my walking. I was on crutches. Um, the school didn't give me like a lift key or anything. Like I struggle up and down the stairs every day, every single day, because we had a staff briefing upstairs every morning. I, I also taught lessons on two different floors and in multiple different classrooms. I didn't have my own room. And my um, tutor room was up like three flights of stairs. So like I constantly was on the go. And so I would have to like hold the banister with both my hands to try like get up and down the stairs. And um, I just couldn't. I couldn't like do it like it was just really hard and so they never they never offered me a lift key until I asked for one like 10 days later like no one had even asked if I was okay and stuff like that and honestly looking back like I just always think you know the head teacher just brought me back to the school because he was annoyed that I had the guts to complain about his staff because that had never happened before and you know it's been the biggest reason why I've been a cynic about how staff are treated um staff with disabilities are treated in in teaching I did eventually by the way go on to I mean there's so much more to the story but that wasn't what I was really <laughs> meaning to talk about today but um I did end up at another school after that for three years where honestly my experience was the total opposite you know um the school business manager was so supportive of me like there was nothing I couldn't come to her office and say like I just you know, like even though she was SLT and she was always busy, she was somebody that never turned me away. There were times where I had, you know, come to her classroom and said, you know what, like um, I need to leave right now for like a hospital appointment or in the next hour. And she would just let me leave. You know, it was it was never questioned. But equally, I needed a lot less support because I was in remission. And so sometimes in the back of my mind, I would still think, well, if I needed, you know, a lot more support, what would actually happen, if that makes sense? And you know, ever since that experience at my first school, I feel like leaving um, a school or moving on to another one or my career is it, it really impedes on my career in the sense that I know that I would never go to a school that has had like a tribunal. Like I always Google schools before I um, if I'm considering applying to a school, I always Google them and I check if they've had a tribunal for disability discrimination. Um, I also rely very heavily on like word of mouth from people. Like even now when I made the switch from mainstream to cruise and I went for my interview and um, I met the head teacher, I wasn't really thinking about my career. I was on the day, I was just paying a lot of attention to what the head teacher was saying. And I was just thinking the entire time that I was there, I was thinking, is this someone I can work with? Like, is she giving me, you know, discrimination vibes? I mean, she didn't. I thought she was so lovely. And that's why I did have the guts in the end to, you know, resign from my last school and, you know, make this leap. But I know that had I sensed anything kind of off kilter, I know that I wouldn't have taken it. And I wouldn't, I would be willing to like give up any opportunity that comes my way if I felt like my health wouldn't be taken seriously. And like, I feel like that is probably the case for a lot of teachers. And I think it's super, super sad that, you know, a lot of teachers do have to worry about how their health will be perceived. Um, I know a lot of teachers as well that don't disclose that they have a medical condition or when they're filling out an op occupational health form or um, when, you know, they go for an interview 
they don't share that they've got a medical condition or a, a disability and even after they join a school a lot of people debate you know how long should I wait before I tell them you know it's something I do give a little a lot of people advice on like my personal stance is that I wouldn't personally want to join a school um without like I know that I lead with my MS a lot I know it's like one of the first things I say about myself it's in my Twitter bio like anyone who googles me will very quickly know that I'm somebody that has multiple sclerosis and the reason why I do that is because I mean aside from wanting to be representation for people and you know feeling part of the community I do that because I know myself I wouldn't want to join a school if I had to hide my MS from them like I just feel like if I have to hide something that is a part of my life then I don't think that school kind of like deserves the best that I can bring. Like I I stand by that. Like I don't care what opportunity I will miss if somebody doesn't want to, you know, um, if somebody doesn't want to have to learn how to, you know, adapt to my MS, then I don't want to be there, if, if that makes sense. So, But I also know that comes from a place of privilege in the sense that sometimes people are really desperate for jobs or are really desperate for promotions and therefore would be willing to kind of hide those parts of themselves. And also, I don't think there is anything wrong with hiding a medical condition either. Um, I, I don't think, if, if, you, if you're not comfortable disclosing your disability, I also really don't think that you have to, if that makes sense. Um, but I have been talking for ages and I would really love for anybody who's got anything they want to say to request the mic. Um, it's really sad that Melissa hasn't been able to join us. I, I can see that, um, I don't know what happened, but basically I was meant to have a guest called Melissa today. She's somehow listening to this um, and I believe is logged into her Twitter, but for whatever reason, I can't see her in the call and she's not been able to come in. So I will definitely do a part two to this for my next one if anyone does want to come um, and talk about disability because I have so much more to say. But if there's anybody now, I don't know, Shukri Osman or anyone that's listening, if there's any questions you have, or I mean, we've only got about 10 minutes left, or anything that you might want to add, or any story that you want to share, go on. I'll I'll butt in, Yasmin, and just say cool. what an what an inspiring person you are, you know. And I don't say that lightly um, because I would, I you know, I don't kind of throw that around um, to to anyone. Really, based on what you've been through, based on what you've managed to achieve since, um, is yeah, truly remarkable inspirational so thanks for sharing the full details on what went down because it was it was wrong you know it was just wrong thank you um I really really appreciate that honestly I really appreciate that I mean there's so much to say there's just so many like it it was a really long and detailed um, experience and there's so much that happened but it's something that I was really adamant that I didn't want to ever sign like a non-disclosure. I didn't want a settlement. I feel like it's really important, you know, teaching is a community and I feel like it's really important for teachers to know about schools that actively discriminate against their staff or their students because, you know, most, well, I mean, every teacher I've met is somebody that's well-meaning and, you know, cares a lot about others. And I think it's really important for teachers. I just think it's a matter of public interest. You know, the reason why we have things like the teacher standards is because, you know, there has to be, um, you know, we, we as teachers have to uphold the public perception of teaching. It has to be a positive one. And so as a teacher, I just felt like, well, everyone else, you know, all teachers and parents and, you know, the wider community deserve to know that this is what happens in some, you know, schools because it's just, it's unacceptable. But I think it was Asman, did you, I think somebody might have gone off. Yeah, uh, thank you. 
Thank you, Yasmin. That's uh, very inspiring energy from you. And of course, uh, the culture of silence that you fought throughout your career, it's very recommendable. And I would just like to um, catch from what you just discussed. Uh, I would include it in some of the consultancy services I do on education. For example, I implement personality disorder consultancy for teachers to understand learning spectrums, learners spectrums. So this also gives me, this discussion gives me opportunity to, of course, shift my concern from the learners to teachers stuff. So thank you so much. And the Wellbeing Week is a very good initiative that replicating it will go a long way in liberating teachers that are having, of course, invisible um, disability, which is very important subject that should be talked about, just like you, your story has already told us a lot, a lot, and some of the challenges they are facing. Thank you so much. And of course, when I will host a host uh, space on this, I will invite you. Thank you. Thank you so much, Osman. I really appreciate that. I really, really appreciate that. And I'm happy to hear that. I just feel like in teaching, it's really sad that, um, you know, there are so many policies and things in place for students. And, you know, every teacher like makes an effort to stop, you know, bullying and all of these things. But actually, that happens a lot to staff in teaching. Like, I just feel like there's a lot of abuse of power in teaching. I know I just sound like such a cynic right now, guys. I also feel like I've had so many amazing experiences in teaching. Like, it's not all been bad. Um, My last school, like, I loved it there. I had a really good time. But um, I just feel like just from how many conversations I've had with so many teachers on Twitter, just things I've seen in Edu Twitter and just things I know from, you know, interacting with teachers in person. I know that there's so much bullying. I know that it's so easy for, um, you know, SLT to kind of abuse their power and kind of manage or push teachers out of a school. And I just think it's really sad that, you know, every school has anti-bullying campaigns and posters and all these things, you know, dotted all around the school, but there's never much thought and consideration that's given to, um, you know, the well-being of staff and, you know, stopping bullying from one staff to another and, you know, people's chain of line management and things like that and how many teachers end up, you know, leaving the workforce because they've had um, colleagues that have kind of made it untenable for them. I, I find that really sad. Shukri, is there something you wanted to say? Um, yeah, yeah. Um, thank you for that story. But also, I think... What- because because disability is so large, there's so many things you can kind of talk about, like the legal side of it, the um, social side of it, and like in the staff, you know, body. But then there's also the thing of you know we may need to actually discuss about strategies that we could use as teachers, kind of collaborate, uh, to kind of to work around our own disabilities, whether that is you know through hearing, whether that is through like accessibility, or kind of you know how to you know manage behaviour when you can't you know, physically touch a child or, like, you're not at the same height level or you can't hear them properly. I think it's really interesting to kind of talk about that. And I appreciate that, you know, just talking about disability is such a wide, a wide term, like, a wide net. Like, you know, there's so much you can talk about that I think would really, it would be really interesting to kind of discuss, like, the, the practical elements of teaching with a disability and, you know, it's like that. Yeah, no, I completely agree, Shukri. You know what? Um, 
I will do another space. So not next Sunday, but the Sunday after. So it's like alternating Sundays. And I will do a part two to this. Um, I know there's loads of people that are really interested in Shukri and Usman. It would be so nice to have you guys again. Also, if there's anyone else in the audience who's listening that might want to join that and, you know, be a speaker from the start, you are more than welcome to message me between now and then. Also, Melissa, I can see, is like frantically DMing me, but for whatever reason, she's not been able to join this. Um, I actually work with Melissa, so I will just make sure that um, I've got it set up on her phone next time um, so that this works for her and we don't have any um, technical difficulties. Um, but Melissa is absolutely amazing she's a humanities teacher um in the pru industry she's been teaching for a really long time and i find her so inspiring and she was you know kind of the inspiration behind why i wanted to do a um a ttr space on um disability in teaching so i know that i would love to have her but shukri and asman as well it was so nice to meet you both shukri i'm so inspired to hear about your teaching and um, for anyone who wasn't here from the beginning um shukri who's one of the speakers is um currently a school's direct trainee in teaching she's in a wheelchair she's in a london comprehensive and um she's the first person um in a wheelchair to be teaching in her school and I just think you know that's absolutely incredible and so far sounds like she's had you know really good experiences um also pinned to the top here are a few things that I just want to direct your attention to so the first is with a slack with a slack group um if you just want to check it out and also the uh second is Charlie Burley the uh teacher's health and there's a 25% off and a chance to win your ticket and travel cost which ends today just check the pin tweets and also I can see Tom very kindly pinned um <laughs> basically guys I met Lewis Hamilton recently and was able to host him at a pru in Newham called Tonmarsh um but I will add that to the, I'll talk about that more in the show next time thank you so much to everybody that's tuned in to listen please feel free to message me and please come again um, two Sundays from now and we'll just do a part two with Melissa and a few more people. But thank you so much, everybody that's joined and I hope you enjoy the rest of your day. You've been listening to Teachers Talk Radio. Tune in live and listen back at ttradio.org. We look forward to hearing from you next time on Teachers Talk Radio.